prepare now for the teaching this morning. We're continuing in this sermon series called Fearless Prayer, and today is going to be a part two sermon uh, building on last week's topic, which was faith in prayer and what that means. And so our text for looking at this is going to be the same as last week. It is Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 24. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, then I'll give you a moment to do so. Once again, we're going to be in Mark chapter 11, verses 20 and 24. We'll have the words on the screens next to me as well, so you can follow along there. All right, well, if we're all ready, then we'll get started with Mark chapter 11, and starting verse 20, it says, Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus replied to them, Have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. This is the passage that we're looking at today as we continue in fearless prayer. You guys who have been with us remember, or you might remember that I told you, we're calling this series Fearless prayer because we are looking at uh, passages in the scripture <clears throat> that I think are the most challenging to us, uh, passages on prayer in the Bible that are the most challenging to us in terms of <clears throat> our faith and confidence in prayer. This is one of those passages, maybe as I shared with you guys last week, the number one passage for me, not just on prayer, but on any topic in scripture <clears throat> that has always challenged me the most. <clears throat> the one that has made me question and wrestle with and search my own heart and try to understand and, 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 and grapple with how well do I, do even I really believe what it says here? You know, and I think I'm not the only one who really wrestles with these verses here in the Bible. I was sharing with some of the other guys earlier this morning. Whenever I do my sermon prep, one of the first things that you do, and you know, kind of similar to you guys, if you remember writing papers or essays, one of the first things you do is preliminary research. So that's gathering the resources that you're going to use for your topic or whatever you're researching, right? And so that's one of the first things that I do. Typically, if we're going through like a book of the Bible, I only have to do that once <laughs> at the beginning. But in this series where we're doing different passages every week, I've got to do that uh, you know, at the beginning of every week. And so one of the things I do is I gather the best commentaries that I have available to research it, to help me and give me insight, and also gather at least one or maybe two of some of the best sermons that I can find so that, you know, I have an idea of how I want to preach this, but I also want to check it against some of the, the greatest preachers of our day and of history to see, like, am I in line with what, what these guys were thinking too, and where am I different? What can I learn from them? What do they see that maybe I'm missing? And so on. That's what I always do. And in this passage, whenever I go, and, and I know all the places to search to find uh, the best sources for uh, quality, you know, biblical, uh, and, and also reformed uh, sermons on various passages of the Bible. But whenever it came to Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 24 or 25, I couldn't find any. I was struggling. I was looking all over the, the, the different databases, archives, that, and websites I usually go to to find some, and I couldn't find any. In fact, uh, earlier I said I found one. Truly, I found two. I found one sermon, one, in, in, in contemporary times of another preacher, you know, biblical, solid, who was brave enough to take on this passage. And 
Outside of that, I found another one who was Charles Spurgeon. I'm going to be referring to him a lot uh, today. He was extremely, extremely helpful on this topic. Um, Because, as I mentioned last week, passages like this one and others that we'll be looking at in this series have often been, uh, you know, they're not just challenging to our faith, but they've also been taken and uh, misused by certain incorrect theological uh, camps or tribes. I, I talked about some of these last week. You can go back and listen to that sermon, you know, um, such as the prosperity gospel and others who have, who have really uh, uh, twisted and, and misused passages like these. And I think what that does then is it makes, you know, faithful biblical preachers a little uneasy in approaching them because there's sometimes baggage attached to these passages that we have to work on removing. Um, and then also ones like these, like, look, even with a, a solid theology, like I said last week, it takes some hard work of threading the needle here to make sure that we get this right. But that doesn't mean we can ignore it. Fearless prayer. So we're going to look at passages like this one in this series. You know, how often do our prayers feel forced? Have you ever felt that way before? You really go to prayer just out of obligation out of knowing, well, I'm a Christian, so this is what I'm supposed to do. But we don't go to God in prayer in excitement. We don't go to God in prayer in expectation, even. We go to God in prayer, and we don't leave from that time in confidence that he has heard us, and he will answer us. We go to God from prayer, and we don't leave that time feeling refreshed and encouraged by that time with God in prayer. We don't have the assurance that he will supply our every need. And so what we are continuing to explore in this series and today is what it means to have faith in God in prayer so that our prayers would be strengthened, so that we would have the faith and confidence in God to pray big prayers, not just for our own lives, but for the sake of the kingdom of God and the movement of the kingdom of God in, uh, in our world, in our nation, and even in our city. The kingdom of God moving in Redeemer City Church as we endeavor to be a church that declares the lordship of Christ over every square inch of Acadiana. That we will pray for God to move in these things, but also for our own personal needs in our lives. We need to have faith in God in prayer. Now, I tried to define and flesh out what that means last week. Let me just remind you that having faith in God in prayer in summary, means this. It means that we believe that God really hears us and that he will answer us. Often, we go to God in prayer unsure if he's really listening. Or unsure. We, we sort of look at it almost like playing the lottery or, or, or pulling, the, uh, pulling the lever to see, you know, is prayer going to work this time? But not having an assurance, having a confidence that he is listening and he will answer. This is what it means to have faith in God in prayer. And this faith is not built upon any, you know, internal emotional work that we are doing. And this faith is not based upon even any morality exercises, as I called them before, uh, that, that we do to say, okay, you know, I've done really well, so God's definitely going to listen to me this time. When our faith in God in prayer, this, un, this confidence that he hears me and he will answer me, what it is based upon is God himself and who he is. It is based upon his power. It's based upon his character that we know that he is faithful that he is good, that he loves us. And as we'll see today, as he is rich in mercy. 
understanding that he is so unlike us. And we often project our own images of ourselves onto him. And we think, you know, if I were in his position, I wouldn't answer me because we're not rich in mercy. Oh, but he is. This is what it means to have faith in God in prayer. A confident prayer based upon what we know that God is, on who we know he is in his character. And so we pray these big prayers. As Jesus said, prayers that have expectation and no doubt. So let's look carefully at this passage some more and consider what are some of the essential qualities of faith-filled prayer. Based off of what it means to have faith in God, what will our prayers look like? So last week, we really defined what it means to have faith in God in prayer. This week, we're looking at what does it make our prayers look like? What, what qualities and attributes will our prayers have if we truly believe in him? So we're going to look at three things. Let me begin with the first one. So first, there should always be some definite objects for which we pray. If we truly believe that God hears us, that he listens to us, and that he answers us, and that it's not just like you know pulling a lever at, at a casino and it, am I going to be lucky this time or not? Prayer is, you know, it's not a matter of luck. Prayer, it's not a wish. What do you do at birthdays? Maybe you don't still do this, but maybe as a child, they put a cake before you and there were some candles on it and you went to blow the candles out. What would you do first? You would close your eyes and what? What would you do? Make a wish and then blow them out and just hope for the best. Faith in God and prayer is not just making a wish. I, I got to have this excellent conversation this past week with a, a philosopher named Timothy Pickavance. And uh, we talked about the interplay and connection of knowledge and faith. And he explained it so well. He said, you know, we have all these bad ideas about what faith means out there. But if we look at what it means in the Bible, biblically, Christian, according to the Christian worldview, what does faith mean? He says, faith is just another type of knowledge. We gain knowledge by various different means. You know, one of the ways that we gain knowledge in, in, in science is through observation with our physical senses and, and testing and so on. He says, but there are other ways that we can know things. And faith, according to Scripture, is another way of knowing, of knowing God. And so whenever we know God and we have faith in him, then we come before him with these specific objects that we are praying for. Because we know that we are not just making wishes and then hoping for the best, and we're not just playing the lottery, but that we are speaking to our Father who loves us and who is eager to, to grant our request and to supply our every need. And so notice that Jesus says that everything you pray for, you know, believe that it is yours and you will have it. In other passages, I mean, I'm sorry, in other translations, it says, and know that anything that you pray for, he hears and he will answer it. So what this means and, and what it tells us, and we can match this up with other places in the Bible, is that there are definite objects. There are specific objects that we should go to God in prayer for. But how often do we just start praying without really first stopping and considering, what do I need? What do I need right now? Sometimes you don't even know, and so you need to ask God to help you to know what to pray for. But frequently, we go before him, and, you know, we just start praying in, in, in all these paraphrases and with all these cliches that we've heard in church before, or maybe the things we've heard other people pray before. 
And maybe we'll, we'll even say, you know, God, just you know, give me the things I need and may, help me to be a little bit more relaxed and uh, to be nicer to my kids or, and, and just uh, for your will to be done. You know, and, and we think that, oh, that, that should do the trick. But we don't really ask for anything specific. Have you ever had a New Year's resolution succeed without putting a clear end goal on that resolution? If you don't begin the year with some direction that you're going in, a goal to accomplish, then you're not going to accomplish any goal, right? If you're an archer who, has, who, who closes his eyes and just moves around, having no idea what target he's aiming at, he's never going to hit the target. If you are going to be invited into the royal courtroom of a king or queen, if you, you know, Elizabeth just died, but if you're granted presence before Queen Elizabeth's court to go and make any request you wanted before her, you certainly wouldn't say to yourself, I'll think of something when I get there, right? The captain of a ship, if they're going out on an exploratory voyage, if he doesn't know what they're looking for, then they'll never find anything. And the same is true in prayer. The same is true in prayer, friends. We need to know in our hearts and in our minds that which we are going to God in prayer for and lay those needs, lay those goals specifically before him. Whether they be goals for the kingdom, goals for our church, for the, for the success of our ministries, for the lost to come in and hear the gospel. You know, those people pray by name. That is such so much more of an effective request than to just say, you know, God, whoever's out there that you think would be a good fit, send them in. But no, those that you know, pray them by name. Those needs and goals that we have for the kingdom, that we have for our lives, for those needs that come up in your homes and in your personal lives, bring those before him. These are more effective prayers. Like I said, Spurgeon has been an extremely helpful guide in this passage and this topic and he said this about being specific in our prayers for people and for needs. Spurgeon said, when you pray to him, tell him what you want. If you have not money enough, if you are in poverty, if you are in straits, state the case. Use no mock modesty with God. I love that. Come at once to the point. Speak honestly with him. He needs no beautiful paraphrases such as men will constantly use when they don't like to say right out what they mean. If you need either a temporal or spiritual mercy, say so. Don't ransack the Bible to find out words in which to express it. Express your wants in the words which naturally suggest themselves to you. They will be the best words. Depend on it. Name persons. Name things. And make a straight aim at the object of your supplications. And I am sure you will soon find that the weariness and dullness of which you often complain in your intercessions, will no more fall upon you, or at least not so habitually as it has heretofore done. How many of us practice what Spurgeon said there, this mock modesty before God? Or maybe we try to make it even very theological and understand, well, you know, we don't want to be like those who go into the error of a name it and claim it mentality, or so on, and so, uh, so I understand that instead that God is sovereign, and so I'm just going to lay things into his sovereignty. 
You know what Spurgeon says, and what this passage in Mark 11 suggests, and other passages, is that this is not how God desires for us to come to him and make our requests known before him. That what he instead desires is that we would, as Spurgeon said, state the case, whether it is for temporal or spiritual things. Spurgeon says, so whether it's for spiritual things, you know, whenever you pray for God to help you to overcome sin, to make you more like Christ, and to, um, to advance his kingdom, we know without the shadow of a doubt that those requests are always answered. Because whenever we pray requests that are in line with what God desires, we know that he will answer them. Right? He is eager to hear those things. But then we often tend to have much less confidence when we pray for those, as Spurgeon said, temporal things. What he means by that is those things that are not, you know, they're not spiritual. He says, if you are in financial distress, praying for him to supply. If you need healing, you know, these are temporal things. If you need healing from, from a disease, from a sickness, from an ailment, if you know those who need healing, having the same confidence and praying for those things as well. No, of course, we leave all things into his hands. We recognize that his wisdom is greater than ours, that his plan is greater than ours. But that doesn't mean that our requests are made with any less faith or that we dance around the issue, that we don't plainly put before him what our needs are, the things that are on our heart. What about those times whenever life is going really good? You know, maybe you think to yourself, I I can't think of any needs that I really need to place before him. If Hey, look, if you're in that place, good for you, okay? Even if you're in that place, you can still pray specific prayers before God because here's the thing. You can always pray for greater faith and for greater love for Christ in your own heart. You can always pray for that. You know what else? You can always inquire about the needs of those who are around you so you can be praying for them as well. If your heart is open to your church members around you, and if you are interested in not just coming and getting your own personal experience in church, but if you're interested in the well-being of your brothers and sisters nearby you, you'll quickly find that there are needs you can pray for. There are many, many needs in our church. There are many burdens that some of you are carrying that you, that you haven't shared with others that you need to be sharing with others so they can be praying for you. There are burdens in here that people are carrying that you don't know about because you haven't been open. You haven't been asking and listening. So even if you look at your own life and say, you know what, things are peachy, they're good, there are others that you can pray specific prayers for, for their needs. You can also pray for our city. You can pray for our city, which so desperately needs the gospel of Jesus Christ, which needs the kingdom's renewal, which needs to come to know God and obey his commands. So we must pray specific objects. The second thing that having faith in God in prayer does is it fills us with earnest desire in our prayers whenever we go before him. It fills us with earnest desires. Now, what I mean by this is that if we truly believe that God hears us, he listens to us, and he will answer our prayers, and that the needs that we have, if they truly are needs, that if we bring him before him, he will answer them, then what that means is, is that we will continue to bring them until he answers them. How many times before have you had a need in your life or a need in someone else's life? And, you know, you hear about this from someone. They tell you that they just got some bad news about health or about their job or so on. And you say, I'll pray for them. 
And maybe, you know, you even went above and beyond. And you didn't just say, I'll pray for you, but you did. And in that moment, you said, you know, Lord, help him out with that. And then you move on. How many times have you done that? I'll confess, I've done that before. How many times with your own needs, or with your, even with, look, things that go beyond needs, just your, the goals you have for your life, and what you want, and what you want to be able to accomplish, what you want God's help with, you know? How many times have you brought those things before him, maybe once, earnestly, but then you just moved on? Those things which we bring before the Lord, if they truly are needs, desires, and objects which we believe that he will answer, then we must have the earnest desire enough to continue bringing them before God in prayer until he answers those requests. Moreover, you know, we have the confidence in this, in that as God is sanctifying our hearts, as he is drawing us more and more away from sin, as we are in Christ Jesus, and closer and closer to his heart, and he is sanctifying our heart, he's changing it, he is molding us more after Christ's likeness, then what that means is, is that our desires are also being more and more molded after his desires. And what the Lord wants is what we want. And therefore, often we'll find that what we desire is what God desires for us as well. Now, of course, we should state, not always the case, right? Of course, it is, there, there's the chance that, that sin can deceive us. That, of course, that's the case. Sometimes it is just our lack of wisdom. And there's something that we think we need, that we think is the best for us, that we think you know, would be the best way for circumstances to play out, that God knows that there is better. Yes. But we can also have confidence that as God molds our heart and as we obey him, what we desire is what God desires. And so when we have confidence in this and we even examine those desires, we test them against Scripture and with the Holy Spirit in prayer, then whenever we go and we pray those desires before the Lord, then it fills us with a fuller experience of laying our needs before God than what you had before. Earnest desire. Let me quote Spurgeon again. Earlier I asked how many Spurgeon quotes is too many. Eli said eight. I only have two. Okay, so I am well within my, my rights. So another Spurgeon quote about this. He said, we must have such a desire for the thing we want that we will not rise until we have it, but in submission to his divine will nevertheless. Feeling that the thing we ask for cannot be wrong, and that he himself hath promised it, we have resolved it must be given. And if not given, we will plead the promise again and again, till heaven's gates shall shake before our pleas shall cease. I'll be honest. That kind of prayer is not what many of my prayers have looked like. We need to be like Jacob, who wrestled with God and who held on to God until he would bless him. And he would not let go until he would bless him. And so the Lord relented, and he blessed him, and he gave him a new name, Israel. So we must also be the same in our prayers. Remember that, that this is how the Bible encourages us to bring our needs and supplications before the Lord. Uh, and and, and I, I can't remember the exact um, reference, forgive me, but in Isaiah, it tells us to be like watchmen at the gates, bringing our need before the Lord. You know, watchmen would stand at the gates day and night, 
And so in other words, what God is inviting us to do there is to pester him day and night, to continue bringing our needs before him. Or remember Jesus' parable of the persistent widow, this widow who continued to bring her needs before a wicked and unjust judge until she had worn down that unjust judge with her unrelenting request that he finally gave in. And Jesus says, now, if an unjust judge would give in, how much more your father? How much, for, how much more the just Lord? Will he answer the prayers of those who persistently, consistently go before him, making their needs known to him? Friends, here's a truth that we should consider. Perhaps many of our prayers have not been answered because we have not been fervent in our prayer. Dispassionate requests, requests made to men that have no passion behind them, no earnest desire behind them, don't move the hearts of men. So why should it move the heart of God? If we have faith in him, in our prayers, and do not doubt, as Jesus says here, then we will have earnest desire, and we will not relent until the Lord answers our prayer, whether it be in exactly the way that we asked for it, or whether it be in a way that even we didn't expect. Let's go ahead and move on to the last one. Lastly, there's this. In addition to making our specific needs known before God, and then in addition to having an earnest desire, there should also be a realizing expectation. A realizing expectation should go with firm faith and prayer. And this is those words in this passage that are perhaps the most challenging to us out of any others. The issue that is the most challenging to us in what Jesus says here. In verse 24, he says, Therefore I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. That's the phrase, that's the words that shake me to my core every time I read this and that make me reread them again and again to make sure, did I, did I get that right? That's, that's challenging. That's intimidating. He says, believe that you have received it. What Jesus is telling us is that there is a faith in God which is so strong a faith, like I said, in his character, in his goodness, in his works, and that even despite our sin, he is so gracious that he still hears us and he answers us. The blood of Christ is so powerful that it makes us presentable before him. And so whenever we go before the throne of the king, he listens to us and he will answer us. There's a faith in God and in these truths that is so strong that it makes needs known before him and believes that he's already answered. That's powerful. That's challenging. I don't know if I've ever prayed with that much faith, with that much confidence. But even this, we frequently pray, and then we have to wait. And that tends to challenge us. It tends to challenge that faith. It tends to challenge how much do we really believe God has heard me. Because we make our needs known before him, and then we wait. We have to stay consistent in prayer, right, that earnest desire part, and continue bringing our needs before him and wait. And all the while, believing that we have received it already, that's difficult. 
but it's not without precedent in Scripture. There's this really interesting story uh, towards the end of the book of Daniel, uh, in Daniel chapter 10. Consider, there's this story where Daniel had prayed a need before the Lord that he then had to wait three weeks. So he prays this need before God, and he continued bringing it before him with great faith. Daniel was a man of faith that would certainly challenge any of our faith, right? But he prays this consistently, and then three weeks later, finally, uh, the angel, um, I can't remember which angel it was, the angel comes uh, to Daniel to answer his prayer. And he says to Daniel, it's really interesting, the angel says to Daniel, you know, your need was made known to me whenever you first started praying three weeks ago, but I was caught in a conflict with the prince of another nation. And so I was just now able to make it here. Now, without getting into the theology of all that, right, that's a, whew, that, that's a, that's a sticky one there of, of angelology, as it's called, and so on. Without getting into the theology of that, let's stay focused on what our focus is here today, right? God had begun answering Daniel's prayer three weeks earlier. He had the answer to his prayer. He just had to wait that three weeks to finally receive it and to know that he had received it. God heard him at the very first and had already begun working things in order to send the angel to answer Daniel's prayer. So often... We have to pray in firm faith and believe, as Jesus says here, that we have already received the answer to our prayer and wait. So how do we do that while we are waiting? Well, just because we don't have the answer in our hands yet, we believe that while we are waiting and while we are consistent and fervent in our prayers, the Lord is working things together. The Lord is moving things. The Lord is changing hearts. You know, that that person that you've been praying for to come to know Jesus, that neighbor or friend, that family member that you've been bringing before the Lord for weeks or for months or for years, who knows what God is doing? Who knows what God is doing in their heart, in the circumstances of their life that is going to take some time, but that the answer to your prayer, he already has. For those needs that you have in your life, spiritual or as Spurgeon challenges, those temporal ones as well that were sometimes you know, just nervous to lay before him. Those needs for a, a, a blessing of healing or a blessing in finances, a blessing in circumstance, a blessing in your job, whatever else it might be, bringing those things before him, as Jesus said, believing that we have received it, believing he hears my prayer and he is, he is bringing the answer. He is bringing my relief right now. He hears and he will answer. He will bring the belief. An expectation that God hears us and will answer us in request for spiritual and temporal needs is an expression of uncommon faith. It's an uncommon faith, and it is truly faith. As I helped us to understand last week, once again, in, that, in this project that we have of threading the needle here between, before, or between all these different errors that we could have fallen into, Praying these things in uncommon faith doesn't mean having a sense of entitlement, that we can just claim blessings that are already ours and have them, right, as, as word of faith and prosperity gospel teachings would tell us. But it also means that we don't ask. That we, or we trick ourselves and assume that God doesn't want us to pray great prayers, big prayers. 
This is what an uncommon faith means. And uncommon faith is the kind of prayers that God answers. The kind of prayers that Jesus says, if you pray and you tell this mountain to move and be cast into the sea, then it will happen. What kind of great works does God have in store for Redeemer? What kind of great works of testimony to his glory and to his sovereignty, to the power of his gospel? Does he have in store for Lafayette? What kind of great blessings that just show how incredibly rich in mercy he is, that he would answer this need that I had, that he would come to my relief in my moment of distress, in, in my moment of suffering through, through pain, in my moment of brokenheartedness, in my moment of struggle with the relationships. How rich in mercy is he that he would bring my relief and answer to my prayer in these moments? What kind of great answers to prayer does God have waiting for us? But we have not had, have had uncommon faith. We have not had fearless prayers to ask them to make those requests known before him, to believe, to expect, and to believe and expect enough that we continue praying until he answers. Oh, how many expressions, uh, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, of the height and depth, width and breadth of his love does he have waiting for us if only we would pray. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you now. And Father, we confess, we confess our unbelief. We confess, Lord, how so many times we have not brought our needs before you because we have tried to handle them in our own power. Lord, we have so often not stated to you exactly what is on our heart because we don't trust that you are good and loving enough to really want to hear it and to really want to answer it. But Lord, we know that you are a good father who desires to answer our requests and to bring us nearer to you. And so you want us to make our requests known. Father, help us and and grow us this morning to have the kind of faith in you that Jesus spoke about here, that we would bring all of our needs and all of our goals and what we, and, 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 the movements of the kingdom that we desire to see, that we will bring them before you, that we will not doubt, and that we would believe that we have received it and that we would see you answer it. We pray these things in the grace that comes from our Lord Jesus Christ, and in his name we pray them. Amen.